Okay, if you would please turn to 1st John chapter 2. I'll be reading 1st John chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that by your Spirit, you would cause the meaning of this text to hit us and the other text I will go to. That You would cause us, Your people, to wake up every day. To sit with You. And to hear the joy and the gravity of Your words that the whole world will know that You belong to Me because of Your love for one another. And so to, to that goal and to that end, I beg that you protect me from saying stupid things, things in error of what the Christian life is, or from hearing wrongly what is said. By your Spirit, would you help us see and be changed from one degree of glory to another. Amen. In last week's sermon on, on the larger text, we concentrated on the Apostle John's unambiguous point that is this. Loving others is the defining evidence that a person has saving faith in Jesus. But last week... I only alluded to a couple examples of what unloving behavior looks like. I didn't spend any time defining love and the verb of love and the action of loving others. Like, what is the love and what does it look like? So, that's what I want to spend my time doing this morning. But as I approach it, I'm always cautious of giving a list of unloving actions, loving actions. Don't do this. Do that without making sure for believers that the connection to the light shining already in your heart or to the connection of your love for God because of new birth in Jesus is the cause of the love that He's talking about. Because of merely giving list, and I don't make that connection clear, unbelievers can do a lot of that list. Actually, they do do it. Many wives are loved by their unbelieving husbands. He's really good. 
to them. And we are to love our wives. Many unbelievers help those in need, care for them, visit them in the hospital. They participate in feeding the poor. And we can go on and on. We know that. But the point that I want to make is that that and those deeds are not the love that, as John says, the already shining light is producing. The love that the disciples of Jesus have is different. It's different in its extent. It's different in its origin. And it's different in its motive of action. So, that's the question. What, what, what is this love that John says? This is the evidence that... Your profession of faith in Jesus and the true doctrine of Christ, that that faith is saving in you. Here's the evidence. What is that love that distinguishes itself from good people who help others? That's the question. So the central text I want you to turn to this morning for that is Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 35. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question in order to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus says, it looks like this. Love the other person as you love yourself. That's biblical love. That's Christian love that John's talking about. This command of Jesus, love others, the way that you were loving yourself, it goes straight to the core of our sinfulness and it exposes it. And here's the contention of the Gospel. And it's the contention of 1 John so far. That with the Gospel, the power of the Spirit comes. The light is already shining and it grabs hold of some. Go to birth. The Spirit of God Himself enters their hearts and something's different. And at the core, what is different is that He has dealt the death blow to the impossibility of obeying that command and thus has made it 
by His Spirit, possible to obey that command. Precisely because God the Holy Spirit has come into the heart and is producing the first command first. I see the glory of God in and through faith and the person and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't believe it. And that happens because the Spirit has come to indwell. And that is the freedom to one extent or another practice the second command. To love the other. As you already do, love yourself. See, the core of all sin, you just think whether this is true or not, but I do. At the very core, it is our constant pursuit of our own happiness apart from God. Apart from recognizing and seeing that our Creator is the source for true happiness. That's the source of all. Which leads to, I'm pursuing my own happiness down here. Apart from whether my actions cause you misery or happiness. Regardless of the other person around me, I will step on them to climb the ladder for my happiness if I need to. That's the core of the sin. It's right there in Genesis. It's in the garden. God is saying, humanity, Adam, give your wife Eve, I'm all you need. Just trust me. I'll give you everything you need. Oh, okay. Now, listen to me. Don't touch. Just, just one tree. The other millions of trees eat from them. This one don't. And Eve had a thought. Did God really say that? Is God really out for my happiness and for my good? Hmm. He, he knows you need it. Satan says, you, you'll be like him. God doesn't want you to be that happy. And that was sin. And that's what drove the action of disobedience. The desire to be happy apart from God. And thus, apart from the welfare of others around us who are designed, created in the image of God. Okay, so, Jesus now, therefore, in this text, he starts with a premise. Not a command. He starts with an assumption. He starts with the inborn, defining human trait. Do you see it? right there in verse 39. He starts with, we all know this is true. It's the way it is about you. What is that? He starts 
with our love for ourselves. He doesn't condemn it. He doesn't command it. He doesn't need to. We all do it. He assumes it. He assumes we all have a powerful drive for happiness, for satisfaction, for self-preservation, for self-fulfillment. We all want to eat when we get hungry, want to be clothed, we want to have a place to live. We want friends. We want love in our life. We want meaning for our existence. We want protection from violence. We want our lives to count. That is self-love. And it's not in and of itself. Sinful. Or wrong. Self-love is that deep longing to diminish the pain I'm in. Give me some more Advil, please. To diminish pain is essentially saying, I want more happiness because pain is an affront and an attack on our our happiness, our calmness, our, our contentment, our joy. And so it attacks our body or it attacks our soul with depression or it attacks us with the pain of emotions in human relationships. And so we want to diminish it or to say it the other way, we want to pursue our own. Happiness. That's to be human. Now, I want you to, just for a moment, you're going to stay in Matthew, but flip over to Ephesians 5 for a moment. Because now the Apostle Paul, he starts with the same given in order to teach us how to love others also. Same way Jesus did. He's going to start with our love for ourselves. This is how you love others. And Paul does the same thing. To husbands concerning how to love their wives, starting with verse 28 of Ephesians chapter 5. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife. Loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. See, he starts there. We don't like it when we bang our thumb with a hammer accidentally. We grab it. We coddle it. Advil, please. Hold it. Suck on it. We hate pain. Paul says, get in touch with this, husbands. If that's true, why would you hit your wife with a hammer emotionally when she comes home? So so he grabs your love for yourself, for, for your own body, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. As the wife is one with the husband. But the point is, it's the given of all of us. We love ourselves. This defines every human being. It is 
what moves us to do this or to do that. Pascal was right back in the 1600s when he observed that every human being is always seeking happiness. You see why that one guy went off to war, to battle, to risk his life? Because ultimately, down below it all, and everything else considered, it was his drive for happiness, contentment. You see that guy who dodged the war and hid and didn't want to fight? Same reason. It's true of everybody, even of those who hang themselves. And our text in 1 John says, Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So, here's the question this morning again. Okay, how? What is this? And Jesus says, start with yourself, love. Because you can really understand that. Every one of you. You're intimate with yourself love. It's your human nature. God created you that way. To love yourself by yearning for food is not in and of itself evil. To want health and to get rid of disease and sickness is not a bad thing. To want to be liked, have friends, is not evil. They're human desires. And Jesus says, as you do... As you love yourself, so also love your neighbor that way. Which means, as you long for food when it's scarce and you want it, and when you're hungry, so long to help feed your neighbor who is longing for food. When you're blessed by other believers who show up, in home group, when you're having a hard time and being there and being prayed for was really helpful to you? Well, then three weeks down the road, when you're on top of the world, yeah, I don't need to go to home group tonight. But be there for them who are struggling. As you long for clothing that fits your culture, long for clothing for the other person who's having a hard time getting it. You long for a nice, comfortable place to live so long for that same thing for your neighbor. As you seek for a safe place from violence in the world, long for safety from violence for your neighbor. As you seek Friends in your life that fulfill that need long to be a friend to others. As you want your life to count and have purpose and meaning in life, long to help other people find that purpose 
that meaning in their life. As you long to be included when you're the stranger, don't know anybody, long to reach out and include those who are strangers at church or on campus or home group or in a cafeteria, as you would have others do to you in that situation, think about it and then do that for others. That's how Jesus is defining love. In in other words, just make your own self-seeking for happiness, contentment, all that. Make that the grid. Make that the measuring rod on how you are to give to others, to love others, to look out for others. That's radical. That word Jesus uses, as, is huge. As you constantly are pursuing your happiness. As you are doing that, so also love the other person that way. As you plan, as you work hard to pursue, to create, to persevere in attaining satisfaction in your life, so work and create and pursue satisfaction for others whom God has put into your life. All right. That's what Jesus says. Now, I think if we're honest, boy, that can feel really daunting. It could feel overwhelming. If we take His words seriously, I mean, it could feel as if, okay, you assume that... I operate for satisfaction and happiness in my life. But you say love others the way that I love myself. I'm finite. There's only so much time. There's only so much money, so much resources, so much gifting I have. It almost sounds like I have to abandon the pursuit of my own happiness altogether. Because the needs around me are so great. So how in the world to any extent Jesus is this so, so you get my logic again. So if it's true, we have an, an inborn mo- dynamic going on. It's always pursuing our own happiness. And that in and of itself is not evil. If you've bought that premise yet, you just go with me, even if you haven't, for logic's sake. If that's true, then how can we give that up? In many circumstances, and begin to seek the happiness of others as finite beings. Therefore, there's only so much I've got to take away from myself at my own expense. I think at the core of the answer, it starts this way. Christianity is not a club. That you join, sign a piece of paper, or go into water, and I'm in a club. Christianity is a supernatural transformation by the Holy Spirit in the heart with the truth of the gospel. 
And that transformation at its core is otherworldly. It puts its marbles, all of its marbles for true happiness into the future. Into the resurrection when Jesus comes. As, as Peter says, an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, laid up in heaven for you. That's where your hope is. And somehow that hope living in us now, it reaches down in the midst of this evil world of sanctification that we live in and struggle with sin. And it is producing a joy unspeakable in Jesus that is filled with glory. That's what's happening in the heart. And because of that, it causes, never perfectly down here, but it causes the ability to love others as we love ourselves. See, when we hear that, and if we take it seriously, if you're really listening to it, you should feel overwhelmed. It, it should feel, in a sense, almost threatening to my happiness. Like, come on, there's a lot of people in my life, from family to church to work to, to, to outward into the community. There's lots of pain in the world. There's only so much time. And I think that feeling and that threat to us is exactly what Jesus wants us to feel. Why? So that we will realize this is why the first commandment is the first commandment. That we would realize this is why the command to love others is the sign of true Christians. The way that John says it in our text, this is coming true, this love command, in you who believe because the true light is already shining. See, the first command to love the Lord your God with all your heart is what makes the second one doable down here in measure. It's what takes away the threat that I won't be happy if I spend my energy, time and money and resources and giftings on other people. The second Commandment is not suicide to your own happiness. Precisely because Jesus is saving us in order to experience the first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. The first is the source. Ongoingly, of the second commandment. Which means every day of our Christian lives, we are desperate for this book. Uh, in other words, to love God. Which you can't be loving God if you are ignoring 
God. We're desperate to go to His Word in order to love Him more. The first command is beckoning us every day to say, first and foremost, Joe, you are desperate to take your longing for happiness and focus it on God instead of these myriad of other things that are beckoning for your godless attention. And that's the spring of having an overflow. That doesn't diminish your happiness, but expands your happiness in meeting the needs of others. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, your intellect. It means keep pursuing the truth that God Himself in Jesus is so satisfying that that pursuit is what will be filling your happiness Longing. So Jesus says, take all of your self-love. All your longing for joy. For hope. For love. For security. For meaning. For fulfillment. For significance. And go on and on. And take that natural drive and focus it constantly on God through Jesus in the Holy Scripture, prayerfully drinking Him in until He satisfies your heart and your intellect and your emotions. They fulfill all the law and the prophets. Now, on this side of the resurrection that is coming with Jesus' second coming, no Christian will experience this fully and continuously and unabatedly. But this is sanctification. This is an ongoing process day by day. As we saw that John said in his first epistle, the love of God is being perfected. Doesn't mean it's perfect in you. It's being worked in you, growing in you, growing you. And so as we're in this process as Christians, we'll find that to obey, love the other. Everything in your flesh is, I don't want to. I just want to look out for my own well-being in spite of others around me. We're desperate to go to the first commandment. Say, God, I'm in an idolater again. I'm looking to other things to make me happy. I need you. And as we have those moments and those hours of being filled with Him, we will find that in loving others, we are not abandoning our own 
self-love at all. But we'll find that our self-love is finding its fulfillment and its transformation in the gospel and in our fellowship with the Father. Our love for ourself is our okay pursuit of wanting true satisfaction, true contentment. That's what it is. And that's why Jesus comes and he says, come unto me. All of you, have you been graced enough to sense the reality of your discontentment? Do you find that your life feels purposeless? Empty? Do you know how broken you are? No one else may know it, but you cry in your room. All of you who are heavy laden and burdened and you're not finding the goal at the end of the rainbow of happiness. Come to me. I will cause you to taste of this true happiness now in this life and the promise that you will have it in its fullness unendingly forever. I will give you rest for your souls. That light there that John now talks about, the light is already shining. It's come into the world in order to regenerate hearts so that what I just said makes sense to them in the gospel of Jesus. And because that light is already shining, which means we have discovered that God is the never-ending spring or fountain of life as the way Jesus talks about it through the apostle John in the gospel of John. Therefore, the way we love others, according to John, has forever changed. So then now we can say, love your neighbor as you love yourself is not something to fret about. It's not something to feel despair about. It doesn't mean I have to abandon my hope for happiness so that I can provide loving acts and help other people on the road to happiness. Because it springs out of the first command, which is the essence of my happiness in salvation through Jesus and constant fellowship with God the Father by the Holy Spirit and His words. And so we can say, oh yes, I love myself. I love myself. I have longings for joy. I have longings for satisfaction and security and meaning. But God has called me constantly to come to Him for it. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 6? Concerning all these things that we need for happiness or contentment. And we get very discontented when the rent is not paid. And I don't have the clothes I want. I don't have the food on the table. That's the context. And he says what in verse 33? Seek. Seek. Pursue. Actively go after the kingdom of God first. First. The rule, the reign of God over you in your life first. And His righteousness. And then 
all these other things down here will be added to you. Jesus commands that our love for ourselves at its core be our love for Him. See, to say it another way, our our inborn desire for meaning and happiness and contentment, that is what has been at its core converted in new birth through the Gospel. So that the light of the glory, of the goodness, of the happiness of who God is to us in Jesus, and He wants to share His glory with us to enjoy forever, has our eyes have been opened to it. And then the second command comes and says, drink your fill daily and now overflow. Overflow with those people that I'll bring into your life this day. Those opportunities I'll bring this day. Those people who need the gospel and uh, you have an opportunity to give into the mission of that with your money this day. Those people you live in the same household with this day. This is so central to true Christianity. I mean, if we, just, if we can just almost erase so much of pop evangelicalism, you've never heard the Bible before, and you sit down for two straight days and slowly read every word of the New Testament, you might really see it. I mean, it's not just John not just Jesus saying, this is how they know that you know me because you have love for one another. Or John saying, you're not a Christian if you don't. Just everywhere. I'm just going to take a minute and a half. Just, just, just two, 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 two. One from Paul and one from Peter. And just hear it, how it seems to be so central to what they understood salvation in Jesus to be. Paul, he's writing to the Colossians. He hasn't met them. He didn't plant this church Okay? But he's going to write, and he, he, he wants to get there, he wants to meet them, and they know him. But he writes to them in chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 3, starting this way. Oh, we, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith. In Christ Jesus. Okay, got that. You're saved. You came to faith in Jesus. He doesn't stop there. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all Christians. He said, something happened to you. It's evidence that you're real. You come alive. You came into Christ. You've been born of God. You're in the family of God. And it produces a real care. Love for others who are Christians. Who are saints. Where's that love coming from? He says, because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. 
Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and you understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And Epaphras has made known to us that you are Christians. Except he just said it this way. He's made known to us your love by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1, he writes, I don't mean that this answers, excuse me, he writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere love of one another for the brethren. Love one another earnestly from the heart. Why, Peter? Why would you command such a thing? And why would you say that our hearts are being purified for a sincere love? Because of the next cause. Because you have been born again. That's what leads John to simply say in the face of American evangelicalism, the core sign that your profession of faith in Jesus is real is that this love toward the brethren and toward your neighbor is being worked out in you. So, before I close, let me just say that that's the huge theology underneath it. And I know this doesn't answer thousands of complexities and questions of how to love and different circumstances of love or, or what is loving. There are so many perplexities in the life of love. There are competing claims upon our time, upon our resources. This is our, this is our daily struggle as believers. There are hard choices. What do I give up? What do I hold on to? There are competing obligations. Okay, love. Let me love the world. Well, what if you do that to the extent you disobey the commandment to love your wife? It takes time to love your children. Well, you fail to supply for the needs of your own household, men. Which we saw last week at home group. You're worse than an infidel. Okay, so, so there's a lot of complexity to the working out of loving others. I mean, besides, there's different interpretations of what love might be in particular circumstances. Some of us 
We, we project way too much into other people. Projecting just means I would like this. So obviously they would. Not necessarily. Just because when you're in grief or sorrow and people are providing meals for you and you would love it if they brought raw fish to your house to eat. It doesn't mean they would. So love might mean actually asking questions, getting to know other people, realizing you're very different than others and they're different than you. Okay. Many acts of love are relative. They're relative to the different persons that we're trying to love. Not only that, we talk about love. We have a term, at least in the English language, called tough love. Okay, so, well, that just seems like a nice, kind act. Well, sometimes nice, kind acts are not nice if they're disobedience to God. So we, well, there's a lot of complexity to love. I mean, sometimes a Christian has to say, I'm sorry. No, you may not eat dinner at my house tonight anymore because the Apostle Paul told me not to let you eat dinner here. Because you are refusing when you do have opportunities to work, to work and you're just going ahead and taking advantage of the goodwill of other believers. And this is not really good for your soul. So in the case where you could work, but you refuse to, Paul says, you don't work, you don't eat. See, see, that's a loving thing to do there. So I'm just I can go on and on and on. Okay, there are ten thousands of complexities of of how loving Others, as we love ourselves, may work itself out. So don't hear me to be saying that loving others is just really simple. It's not simplistic for sure. But what I do mean to say is that the new commandment, as John says, it's a new commandment of love. It is coming true in believers. It's coming true because John says the light is before its time. It's going to really come true in Jesus' second coming. But it is broken into this world now. And it is actually coming true in believers because the true light is already shining. And it's causing us to love God. And our love for God, really His love for us, is what sustains us through all the wisdom-seeking, complexities, pain, the joy, the uncertainty of how to love this neighbor, that neighbor, the other neighbor, this brother, that brother, the other sister. What's the best thing to do? Oh, that can be such a struggle. And so the point of is this, that as we struggle to love one another. For instance, oh, the sacrifice there seems way too overwhelming. Remember, His grace is sufficient for you. But I'm just too tired. I have too much to do. But I know that person really needs me to get in the car and drive to the hospital and sit there for at least an hour to visit with them. The first commandment, Jesus, I need you. 
Your grace is sufficient. And then you go. You go. And say, if I were him, that would be a blessing. Do I spend my money, my time, my particular giftings, my energy over here? Or do I spend it over here? I'm not God. I'm finite. Everything is limited. I have decisions to make. Remember, His grace is sufficient. Pray for wisdom and then act. And there are times, many times, in every one of us who have been born again in our lives where we are distracted by the world and we give way to selfishness and refuse to love. Remember, His grace is sufficient. Remember, 1 John, if we confess our sins, He is just to forgive us our sins and love it. And then stand back up and go love the other. Here's the bottom line. The command of love, according to John, is being worked out in believers' lives. And one of the core reasons, according to Jesus, is because it kills our pride and our independence and that sin nature, that flesh that we, that the, the New Testament says believers have to fight the flesh. The flesh is always saying, I want to wake up today. I want to seek my own happiness. I want to be satisfied apart from God. And thus, apart from how I affect those around me. Positively. Or negatively. So what we need... And go get Alex, Serge, please. What we need is to constantly pray, God, open our eyes so that we would see the light that is already shining in the world, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the power of the Holy Spirit would cause us more and more to love Him. Drink from the fountain of His eternal pleasures forevermore. And thus, there is where we find the freedom to be humble. The freedom to ask forgiveness. The freedom to act and spend our time, our treasure, our talent on others. And to show, therefore, the people that come into our paths, that live in our paths every day, and those that come through our paths, to give them through every practical means, from food, time, energy, our giftings, and ultimately because we want them to find the same satisfaction that we find in God. Go ahead. So let me close this way. I'm going to close by just reading the key core of what the Apostle John has said to us in this epistle so far. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, 
We lie. And we do not practice the truth. But, but by this we know that we have truly come to know Him if we keep His commandments. And therefore, whoever says, I know Jesus, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. The new command of of loving one another, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and it is true in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Therefore, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Oh, Father, may we feel more desperate than ever to flee to you daily. May we feel to say speak to me and open your book and read it for what it says desire that you affect our hearts towards you so that they will be affected toward the needs of others. And in this, Jesus, You will be glorified. They will see the light that is already shining and it will shine in this world. And all the glory will go to You. May we be beacons of light and beacons of love and beacons of of those who say, oh, it's my joy to tell you and to show you the practical need the infinite, unending happiness I found in Jesus Christ. To the glory of your holy name. Amen.